All Things Unexplained, hosted by Dr. Mounts. Let's face it, we were always ready to roll without him anyway. <laughs> CJ Derringer. Ain't nobody perfect, right? And Smitty Neves. I've never planned out hardly anything my whole life. I just free ball. Featuring Cajun Man. I'm just old nobody, somebody looking for somebody. Previously on All Things Unexplained. In, the world, in, world, in World War II, they, these things followed our planes and followed the German planes, and we each thought it was the other side's secret weapon, and they called them Foo Fighters, F-O-O. And now, a very brief history of UFOs continues. The 1950s. Go ahead, CJ. That's the middle of the cold war. <laughs> Good point, Smitty. <laughs> CJ, what were you about to say? I'm sorry. No, I definitely want us to keep moving forward, but I did want to point out that I just looked up that the Roswell incident happened in July of 1947, and it says the Air Force was formed in September of 1947. So that is wild to me. That is really crazy that just two months later, suddenly the Air Force is is now formed as its own entity. So, yes, take us to the 50s. Yep, wild stuff. we got the CIA roaming all over the place in the 50s. Of course, the 50s is the golden age. You talk about some technological advancements. might not seem like a big deal, but we got color TVs out there now, vaccines popping up, Disneyland popping Microwave. up. Microwaves. Microwaves, roller coasters, Elvis. You know, he ended up getting carried away like Elijah in a, in a UFO himself. Okay. Well, I don't know why I believe the Elijah thing, I, I, but, I mean, far as being UFO, but anyhow, but go ahead. The point was Elvis was carried away in a UFO, okay? That's, oh, okay. that's the point. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> this, and Elvis had his height in the 50s. Uh, the Cold War, of course, Elvis is from mine and Smitty's neck of the woods, Tupelo. Yep. A lot of people think Elvis right. is from Memphis, and I'm always aghast when I hear people he say that. He was not. That's right. He was not from Memphis. He was born in Tupelo, Mississippi, and he ate at Johnny's Dope Drive-In and went bought his first guitar at Tupelo Hardware Store. At a hardware store? Okay, that's going to take us way off track. Keep <laughs> going in the 50s. So, but uh-huh. talk about way off track. So I do want to backtrack just a little bit and re- rewind back to the fifth to the forties just a little bit. So, uh, CJ, you were really shocked to find out and to verify that the CIA and the Air Force were formed in forty-seven after the Roswell incident, right? But in nineteen forty-eight, Doctor J. Allen Hynek was recruited by the government to work with Project Sign. Project Sign being a precursor to Project Blue Book. And in 1949, Project Sign became Project Grudge. And in 19... Yawny 2, I mean 1952... You know... know, This is what we get for keeping Smitty up past his 7 p.m. bedtime. You know what's what's so upsetting to me? It's an hour (laughs) earlier there. I know. I can't help it. I'm sleepy. I work hard. You work hard, you sleep hard. Not only is he... I wish that was true. I work hard. I don't sleep at all. Not only is he yawning, but he grumps at us like the two old guys on the Muppets when, when we <laughs> when we text him at 10 a.m. He's like, it's it's only 9, 9 a.m. 10 a.m. 
It was like six in the morning, and I was trying to sleep. Okay, I don't get up on the weekends very early. I'm, I'm dr- literally drinking a depressant, and I've got energy to spare. And he is just letting him rip over there. <laughs> yawn. Well, be be specific. Oh yawn. I, I'm yawning. I'm not letting him rip. <laughs> There's a little bit of a difference. A different thing there in the south. You, you're letting them rip. That means something totally different. It's all gas, okay? Anyway, yeah. anyway, so Project Sign, precursor to Project Blue Book, turn into Project <laughs> Grudge. And in not, you can't stop. 1952, I wonder if this is how it is in church. I'm going to say this is how the, it is with the parishioners in church. Can you imagine if your preacher yawns in the middle of the sermon? I mean, to me, it would be like, whatever. Lights out. <laughs> Reminds me of the old Simpsons episode where Homer wears a, some headphones to church. He kind of sneaks them in at Super Bowl Sunday, and the preacher says something like, We have got. To turn her lives around, Homer says, "Yes." <laughs> As, I definitely took my phone with me into church one time during a playoff game, and a kid that I knew was getting baptized, and I did not want to miss the playoff game, and I was sort of sneaking glances at my phone as he was being baptized. I can't believe I just admitted that. That is possibly the most sacrilegious thing I ever heard, but. I know. I will. That and the UFOs in the Bible. I lay <laughs> right up there with it. You know. You know what? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna have to go. Neil deGrasse Tyson on Smeedy for just a second. Okay. So, Smeedy claiming that it's sacrilegious to call unidentified flying objects in the Bible unidentified flying objects literally makes no sense well you were talking like they're <laughs> alien spacecraft or something but anyhow well ufo does not mean alien spacecraft let's get back yes. to the 1950s oh well okay <laughs> so in 1952 our dr j allen Hynek starts with project blue book now it's on television show on the history channel and in 1955, CJ, you'll appreciate this. A little facility was acquired by the Air Force. Goes by the name of Area 51. It's been something uh, mysterious surrounding that ever since then. Did they ever like? flood the gates there you know we had all the no, people those people were going to and then they were warned that the uh those that protect area 51 are are tasked with protecting it from everything so if people wanted to flood area 51 they needed to be warned that they could die hold on i see so they basically said that i could use deadly force they didn't say that specifically, but they did say that Area 51 would be protected. Hold on, I see. So they implied it. I see Smitty about to yawn. I got to find just the right one to... <laughs> Perfect timing. Oh. <laughs> taking a picture every time he yawns and then we'll use that as our advertisement all right we're gonna we're gonna have to speed it up to the 50s here as much as i hate it but you know what in 1956 just one year after the air force acquired area 51 mr billy had his first encounter with an unidentified flying object well, the first sighting I saw was I was driving along and I looked over to my right. It was parked, and I I saw a, a bright object over there that was changing colors from red to orange, green to blue. And uh, I got to looking. I said, "That's not the moon." 
and I got to watching it, and I didn't go very far, and it, all of a sudden it was stationary, and all of a sudden it shot to the southwest at about a 45-degree angle, just like a tracer out of a rifle barrel. And I don't know how far it went, but it wasn't but just two or three seconds it stopped dead still again. It's, and I could see the colors it was changing, the red, orange, green, blue colors. And that wasn't the only encounter Mr. Billy had in the 50s. And that wasn't the only encounter the town had in the 50s, that being Flora, Mississippi. I saw it several times. I would never tell nobody because I couldn't show them when I knew, you know, <laughs> it's like seeing a bear across the road. Everybody would say, yeah, 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 and now we know we got them. But I wouldn't tell nobody until one night I got to the little restaurant down here where I was headed, and it was still up in the sky. There was five people in there, and I called them out and said, I'm going to show you all something, and I showed it to them. That's the first time I mentioned seeing it. And you know, to me, that also just sounded like something straight out of a movie. He he has this UFO encounter. It it freaks him out so bad he bursts into a diner out in the middle of the country in the fifties. I could totally see this playing out in a movie, like a jukebox playing in the corner, just a few people in there, and and he proclaims to the diner about his UFO experience. And come to find out, the two ladies that of course, on the diner, they had had their own encounters. Come to find out, the two people, the two ladies that owned the restaurant, after they hadn't said anything about it, they had lived out here west of Florida on 22 on the way to Vicksburg, and they had had an encounter with it where it came over their car and, and knocked the motor out. It scared them so bad, they bought a house here in town on 3rd Street and moved from out there to Florida. Now, Thanks, spoiler alert, for Mr. Billy's clip. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. Well, I will say this now. There's no doubt about it that we've got the Air Force being formed. we got Area 51, and there's no doubt that there were top secret craft being tested at Area 51 and undoubtedly other places across the country. And I think that certainly some of our encounters we've had that we're seeing in the 50s are attributable to our own top secret craft. Are they all attributable to that? I think, as we'll hear from Mr. Billy later, no, I, I don't think that's the case. Just like today, they're not that, all attributable. I'm not sure you're pronouncing that correctly, but <laughs> anyhow, uh, you also How have to understand that. that? Uh, I don't know, but differently. <laughs> but you also have to understand that this is in the middle of the Cold War. We're trying to beat the Russians, so mm-hmm. it's a very strong possibility that some of these were military craft because they don't obviously disclose a lot of the information to the public they even exploded a if i'm not mistaken and you can look this up cj considering you have your phone handy but i believe they detonated a nuclear bomb in mississippi down deep in the salt mines down south mississippi before so and i don't think that was obviously public knowledge at the time no and even today there's just nothing but roving bands of mutants in that part of the of the state the 1960s we're going on to the 60s <laughs> and boy did we have some fun stuff in the 60s project blue book continued the vietnam war i guess this music no hippies speaking Where'd we of music? find that as fun oh yeah the vietnam war that was a real blast let me tell you <laughs> that, that was fun that's some fun stuff happened in the 50s the vietnam war if you yeah. if you've right never uh up there with dick clark dick clark's new year's eve special there did they not set napalm off at the new year's uh eve event in new york city oh, uh, i don't think so and you know that's where they found king kong was 
in the sixties on that Skull Island. <laughs> right. Yeah. So there was that. And of course drugs. Drugs became a real problem in the sixties. Across the whole country, not only that, but in nineteen sixty five for some reason there were an unusually large number of UFO incidents. I'm talking about all over the country. <laughs> totally unrelated complete, to the drugs. Completely yeah. unrelated to the <laughs> drugs. And you know what else it was completely unrelated to? The space program. Which just so happened to kick into overdrive in the 60s and in 1965. Gemini 2 was launched, an unmanned craft. And in 1969, we did have a little something supposedly happen. Let's hear what one Mr. Neil Armstrong had to say. As one small step for man, one giant leap for Now, we won't even get into... Did that actually happen or not, I guess? I guess we could take a quick poll. Oh. Yes or no? I'm going to do like the McNeil business hour. I'm pretty sure it's what it's called. CJ, moon landing. Yes or no? I am I'm going to lean patriotic here and say yes. Smitty, moon landing. Yes or no? I'm going to, I'm going to lean toward common sense and say yes. The correct answer is no. Did not happen. <laughs> There. Let's move on to the seven. My iPhone is more technologically advanced by decades than the space shuttle. Did not happen. Sorry. All right, moving on to the seventies. All things unexplained. We'll be right back. Hey, listeners. I wanted to take a moment and tell you a bit about a business that we have encountered on some of our adventures over the past few months. In a time when it feels like there's so much stress and uncertainty in our world, Scrub Out Cancer is still trying to do good for others. Scrub Out Cancer is a small charity-based business that offers bath and spa products for sale through www.scrubaoutcancer.com. I just love their business concept because the more products they sell, the more they donate to cancer patients, their families, and their healthcare providers. As if that concept alone wasn't enough, these are some of the most creative and fun products that I have ever seen. We here at All Things Unexplained got our hands on some of the Yeti soaps to test out, and I cannot get over how wonderful they are. Not only are they a work of art, but they smell so incredibly delicious. In fact, my two-year-old keeps sneaking into my bathroom to try and eat mine because they look and smell that amazing. In addition to the Yeti line and some other super cheerful soaps that they make, they also make artisan soaps, lip products, body and spa products, and liquid soaps. Each soap is handcrafted and seriously a delight. If you want to bring some joy to someone in need right now, or just need to scrub 2020 off of you, head to scrubaoutcancer.com to order some. Be sure to use the promo code YETI10 to receive 10% off your entire order. That's Y-E-T-I-1-0. That code is valid through December 31st. Let's all scrub out cancer together. My friends and I had never made a podcast before, and to be honest, we had no idea how to get started. That's when we decided to check out Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain a couple of things. First of all, it's free. Second of all, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and many more. Finally, it's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. The 1970s. All right, CJ, time for a little good cop, bad cop. We had disco come Uh-oh. come out in the seventies. I'll be good cop, you be bad cop. Smitty's obviously obviously the suspect. <laughs> <laughs> In 
1973, there was an incident at the Yazoo City Nuclear Power Plant. And Mr. Billy told us a little bit about that. Let's hear what Mr. Billy had to say. About the same time, I don't remember when, Mississippi Chemical Plant at Yazoo City got knocked off, got knocked down completely. The policeman I talked to, I went up there, the policeman I talked to, it was two of them, they was at the airport checking the security of the airport, and they saw the two of them come over and go toward the chemical plant. And they called the patrolman that was on duty or on patrol over there, and he saw them go, and the things hovered right over the electrical power grid that supplies the plant. And then a minute, the whole plant went black. It was a locomotive sitting there, a diesel locomotive that was switching the cars that they hauled all the products off in. It knocked the locomotive out, and they had to fill a cranking crew up in Jackson to recrank the locomotive. And that was about the same time. It's just some left us that just happened with them. I don't know about y'all, but that's pretty scary stuff right there. Knocking a power plant off the grid, chemical plant. Uh, turning a locomotive off. I mean, really, really scary stuff if you think about it. Kind of reminds me of modern day EMPs if you think about it. Yup, it does actually. <laughs> you know what else, though, causes that um, that I've heard is solar flares. Is that the same thing? No, I don't. It's an electromagnetic pulse. I mean, what causes that? You could be on to something. You have to ask yourself, though, would a solar flare be reported as a UFO incident? Possibly. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, if I'm going to ask myself that, myself that knows very little about any of this, my answer is possibly. It could be, of course. <laughs> <laughs> And at night, but I will say, you know, we got a lot of files, and we need to make these available on our website. But we got a lot of files from an organization about UFO encounters in Mississippi, and this incident was investigated by a Dr. Heineck organization that I'm not going to name yet, and it was it did not get attributed. Did I say that right, Smitty? Sure, it sounds good. To a solar flare. Yeah, I think that's what people have to realize is that there are so many of these incidences that they do can explain, but there are so many also that they can't after they've been uh, investigated. Right. Right. And one thing I would have to ask myself is a solar flare is plausible. But it seems to me like it would also take out or have some effects in some other places too. So why the singular incident at this plant, at this chemical plant from the solar flare? Why not a more widespread incident maybe reported all across the country? Good question. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, keep going. Another incident, by the way, in the 70s, 1979, the Three Mile Island incident, and and I suppose this is the worst uh, nuclear accident that we've had in America and probably inspired a few movies like The China Syndrome. Smitty, did you ever see that movie? No, I don't think I did. China Syndrome? We. You did say the China syndrome. That's what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Pretty, I've heard of pretty it. Pretty sure yeah. one Jane Fonda was in it. It's called the China syndrome? That's right. So, theoretically, if a... This is my understanding of the China syndrome. If a nuclear power plant <laughs> goes into meltdown, right, complete total meltdown, it could literally melt a hole through the core and into 
out the other side of the earth into China. Hmm. Okay. I will have to verify that, though. Let me see. There's a whole lot we're going to have to verify. <laughs> China Syndrome. The China Syndrome is... Syndrome? Is that, is that Syndrome? Syndrome. Oh, no. A 1979... Now remember the Three Mile Island incident happened in 73. No, it happened in 79. China Syndrome also came out in 79. In 1979, American drama neo-noir thriller stars Jane Fonda. Oh, Wilford Brimley is in there. Michael Douglas, a news reporter. Jane Fonda and her cameraman, Michael Douglas, are unintentional witnesses to a nuclear incident. An emergency core shutdown procedure, a nuclear power plant in California, probably close to where CJ used to live. Uh, it does not. Yeah. Why do they call it the China Syndrome? It's a fanciful term that describes a fictional result of a nuclear meltdown where reactor components melt through their containment structures and into the underlying earth, quote, all the way to China. Maybe it's because Jane Fonda's a communist. That's a very Maybe valid Maybe it's because she's so hot she can melt her way all the way to China. Mm. She was a okay. communist. It did say fictional. Yeah. It's a fictional in there, by the way. And by the way, if you dug a hole from the United States, it would not hit China, even if we went to the other side. <laughs> what, what would it hit, Smitty? It'd be in the ocean. I used to teach geography. Oh. Based on your obvious qualifications for your technology license, I'm going to take that with a grain of salt and move on. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you missed the most important event in the 1970s, anyhow. What was that? 1975, my birth. Thank you. Oh. Actually, speaking of most important events in the 70s, I was born in the 70s. I'm not yeah. going to say what year, but Eight, I, I was born on... 1870s. I was uh, <laughs> born on Halloween, and in that particular year of my birth... There was a famous UFO incident, since we are talking about a very brief history of UFOs, and one Charles Hickson and Calvin Parker were abducted, apparently, by an unidentified flying object in Pascagoula, Mississippi. And Mr. Billy actually had ties to this incident. Right. Have, are you familiar with the... Incident in Pascagoula in say it i don't know what was going on with smitty's microphone during that interview <laughs> sounds like an alien interrupting <laughs> well, that interview it's like an alien was somebody. zipping and unzipping a jacket 
I'm pretty sure Smitty was at the local Starbucks with a nice fruity latte. Whatever. I was at the Lowe's parking lot when that <laughs> happened. So clearly, clearly go. Hey, believe it or not, the go-to spot for the professional night. podcaster. In well, night, we can't go after Smitty if we didn't talk about you and your water bottle in the last episode. Yeah. Oh, that's true. It was like the yeah. fourth host. <laughs> no joke in june of 1975 i was curious the syracuse news times.com says that there was a ufo cluster that's the month in the year i was born there were 132 sightings in june of that year well now we know where you came from well maybe so the closest one to it was july which had 85 sightings i thought that was pretty cool Clearly, we're not derived from the Greys, though. I'll tell you that right now. But there goes the theory that um, alien life forms are more intelligent. That's what I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, then that would definitely be me. This is uh, going into Alf territory, I think. <laughs> Aren't you a cat hater, Smitty? I. I don't know that I hate cats, but I just am not very fond of them. Well, I, I'll gu- tell you I guess that. if you eat them, technically you don't hate them. So, well, I don't. I don't eat cats. I'll eat about anything else, but not that. Oh, okay. Well, also in 1976, this may seem insignificant, but the Canon AE-1 was released. This was the first microprocessor-equipped SLR, and because of its sales. It even got backed by a major advertising campaign. It sold over a million units. And Mr. Billy even got his own camera. And I think I have a clip of him telling us about that. So at some point, you had seen enough of this that you went out and bought a camera to try and catch it. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am. I went and bought an AE-1 camera and got... um the experts there at the camera shop in Del- in the uh, shopping center there in Jackson. I can't even think the name of it now. DeVille Shopping Center. The Cannon Shop. And they, I told them what I wanted and they told me what kind of film to buy. Now this camera technology, you know, it's going to come into play here in just a second. But Mr. Billy was having so many encounters uh, of his own as were the other people in Florida that he decided to go out and try to find a camera that could capture a quality picture of it at night. Now, I did forget to mention, while we're on the case of significant UFO events in 1975, like Smitty was saying, a, a very famous UFO abduction event took place in Arizona. Anybody remember that one? Mm-hmm. Made a movie. I was saying. Made a movie about it. Called Fire in the Sky. Oh. Travis oh, yeah. Walton was apparently abducted by a UFO in Arizona while out logging, and Mr. Billy was even familiar with this case as well. And you go up there to that Walton fellow that logged up in, I believe it was Arizona, and he was gone three days before he returned. Yeah. Yep, he disappeared. Uh, Nobody knew where he went. I'm pretty sure if you play that backwards on a record player that you can decipher (laughs) the (laughs) hidden messages in that tape, by the way. It sounds like somebody was walking with clown shoes on. (laughs) You are very specific about these noises. (laughs) An alien zipping his coat, clown shoes... It, it remi- you may need to put that put that glass down a little bit, but anyway. it, it reminds me of when uh when Smitty called me on his walkie-talkie. I think we were in the fourth grade, and he's like, "Mouse, you got to come over here. I just turn I just turned my Kiss new Kiss record backwards, and it's playing this creepy stuff." But I I didn't go over there. Whatever, you're too busy probably wetting your bed. <laughs> So, uh, now for our big night, of course. Wednesday, February 9th, 1977. Cold February night in Florida, Mississippi. The incident happens. 
what makes one of the things that makes this one of the most famous UFO sightings in history is just the sheer number of credible witnesses. It was around 20 feet. When I got there, there was about 20 law enforcement officers. They all, there was highway patrol, it was the city police, it was two constables, one of them from Canton, and the deputy sheriff, and then our constable here. It was about 20, and then about five or six more came after that. So up to 26 law enforcement officers bore witness to this unidentified flying object in Florida, Mississippi. Mr. Billy told us exactly what they all saw, too. The whole thing you can see is just like looking in the one at night off of the distance. You can just see it lit up. And one of the important parts about that, and at some point Mr. Billy said it had portholes, and, and I thought this was really significant as we continue with the 70s here. Mr. Billy told us about the portholes in this craft, and our Bob Lazar, in an interview, I think this was still on the Joe Rogan experience, he brought up the fact that these UFOs he was reverse engineering in S4, they had portholes, or what lay people would describe as portholes. People call these large black rectangular areas on the top portholes. I believe they were some planar sensor array that just took in information from the surrounding area. So I thought that was fascinating that Bob Lazar, you know, we've heard lots of description of portholes with these UFOs, but Bob Lazar, who claims to have reverse engineered a UFO, he's saying these are not portholes at all. At all, These are actually part of the technology of the craft. Does he claim to have reverse engineered one or claim that he was a tasked with attempting to reverse engineer one he claimed that he was tasked with attempting to reverse okay. engineer a specific part, part of the ufo yeah that and not only that the reactor maybe it, it was either the reactor or he read reports on the reactor but not only that but it was very compartmentalized so he only knew about reverse engineering his one specific assignment. He never was able to interact with the scientists who were tasked with inter with reverse engineering the other parts yeah. of the UFO. So he did not reverse engineer the UFO. I just want to be clear about that. No. Okay. He did not. And again, his analogy was the motorcycle getting sent back to horse and buggy days, right? Like... Obviously, somebody would be able to figure out how to turn it on and drive it. And they were able to do the same thing, according to Bob Lazar. They were able to make this these craft come on and, and actually drive some of them. But they were not able to reverse engineer them, as far as he knew. Uh, that doesn't mean that we did not derive some technologies from them. But, right. but he certainly was not successful. As a matter of fact, he was quite scared uh, with the attempt at yes. reverse engineering now as far as the noise mr billy told us a little bit about that i never heard anything but the people that has had it right up close said that, that it emits a, a humming sound like an electric motor and if you listen to some bob lazar interviews he he also talks about the sound and he compared it to sort of a electric discharge so you know how you can kind of hear this humming sound underneath the uh, underneath power lines. Mm-hmm. So he yep. yep. So he claimed the craft did emit some sort of discharge sound during some parts of their flight, but after uh, a certain time, the sound completely disappeared. And that very much reminded me of what Mister Billy said about his encounters with these crafts dating from the fifties and into the seventies and and beyond. Now, there were also 
even more UFO sightings in Mississippi in the 70s, and Mr. Billy knew about some of those. That same night, the same, uh, I don't think it's the same object, but there's a lot of people in Bildona, which is 60 miles north of here. They spotted it. I spotted something. It was similar to what we saw. Now, back to Dr. Heineck, one interesting thing is that Project Blue Book ended at some point, and going into Project Blue Book, the government brought him in as an astronomer tasked with basically debunking these UFO encounters. Not only could he not debunk them all anyway, and or not account, you know, give reasonable explanations for all of them, but he completely turned around as far as a skeptic into a believer that just based on the sheer number of of qualified individuals who were having encounters and at some point in the 70s he left project blue book or project blue book just disbanded altogether and he started his own organization kufos the center for ufo studies and it was with that organization that dr heinick gave our Mr. Billy a call. Did you had mentioned that Dr. Heinick had called you at some point? He didn't call me. He called the sheriff's office the next morning after the sighting, and I was in the sheriff's office. Uh, I was a reserve deputy sheriff on the Billy Noble out here, and I had a radio in my car, and I had gone to the sheriff's office and the phone rang, and the sheriff answered the phone, and in a minute he said, hold on, talk to this man. He was there, and he handed me the phone. And it was Dr. Heineck. As you know, he was a, uh, he wrote Project Blue Book for the Air Force. Right. And you get it and read it. Then he got so mad at the Air Force because they covered everything up, he, owned, he opened his own uh, paranormal research. UFO research. Yes, sir. He, he investigated all of the major cases, and that's how he called me. I called the sheriff's office, and then that's how I got on the phone. And I just thought, wow, this is a spectacular revelation here that Dr. Heineck, representing KUFOS, the Center for UFO Studies, gives Mr. Billy a call to talk about their encounter. Now, I've got a little clip here from YouTube user The Watcher. I don't think Smitty's ever heard this clip. I don't think CJ ever has either. And it's Dr. Heineck in his own voice telling us about the true nature of Project Blue Book. I was there at Blue Book, and I know the, the, the job they had. Uh, they were told not to excite the public. Uh, uh, don't uh, rock the boat. Uh, and I saw it in my own eyes happen that whenever a case happened that they could explain, which is quite a few, they made point of that and, and uh, let that out to the media. Things that, the, the cases that were very difficult to explain, they would jump the handsprings to keep the, the media away from them. For their, they had a job to do, uh, to, whether rightfully or wrongly, to keep the public from getting excited. And there was Dr. Heineck in his own voice telling us about their job to keep the public in the dark about verified UFO encounters. Pretty powerful statement there, if you ask me. Definitely a powerful statement. And it just... It always brings me back to the why. You know, why why keep the public in the dark? I guess maybe it has something to do with the public response or public safety, but all of the um, secrets, all everything that they keep hidden, it always brings me back to why. Well, I mean, they've done that for lots of different things that we've uncovered you know, submarines, German submarines off the coast of California uh, that wasn't released to the public. Uh, 
just all a lot of different things that that we haven't been told. I guess maybe it might cause mass hysteria if these things are true. Which I'm not saying they are, but if they were, who knows what how the public would react. Well, and there is precedent for that. As a matter of fact, that's a good point, Smitty. So at some point, and I, I should look up when this happened. Maybe CJ has it handy, but at some point... A little broadcast. This was before television, so I guess probably in the in the fifties or before everybody had television. When people listen to H.G. Wells, H.G. Wells. That's right. Mm, when people yeah. listen to shows on the radio, and that was the entertainment. A little fictionalized radio broadcast called War of the Worlds went out, and it created mass hysteria and mass panic. And so there is precedent for what would happen. In this case, a fiction of a UFO invasion went out, and and we saw what happened. And who knows? Maybe that had influence on the, the government's future decisions in terms of what they did make available to the public. Maybe that was a test well, run. I actually have a friend whose uncle worked for the CIA, and he said he couldn't really tell her much about what he did, but... He could say this, that there are things that we have now that we've had uh, in circulation for years. I mean, excuse me, there are things that we have now that we're just now getting technology-wise that they that we've had actually for years, but they couldn't put them into the economy because it would harm the economy at that time. And there are things that they have now that they won't release for years. So... I guess they spoon-feed us what we want to know yeah. or what they think we should know. And, you know, I think Bob Lazar broached that subject, too, about why. Why would this be kept in the dark? And if you think, and his point was, let's just take the the coal, the natural, uh, our, our natural energy businesses, billions of dollars in these things. And Bob Lazar point said that, hey, with the technology from this craft, we could be completely energy dependent. No need for electricity, for gasoline, for coal. And we're talking about billions and billions of dollars uh, tied up in, with individuals and corporations here. So even if you don't subscribe to the theory of the government, we cover this up for our own good, you know, to stop mass hysteria because we couldn't handle it from a religious point of view. You know what? It's certainly plausible that with billions, trillions of dollars and world economies on the line for certain people and certain entities, certainly it's plausible that they would want to keep these things under wraps. Yeah, if not for our own good, definitely just to control us. Yep. Well, that's basically what her uncle had said, that, that these things, if they were introduced into the economy at that certain time, then they would have possibly cause a lot of trouble with with you know hurting the economy because i tell my students what if they did have a a engine that ran on something other than gasoline and they may have it i don't know but how many billions of people or billions of dollars would be lost how many people would be out of work i mean all those types of things every gas station would be in danger every Every oil production place would be in danger. So there's a lot of, a lot of different elements. I feel like Tesla would be very disappointed at your lack of knowledge of current modern day vehicles. By the way, Smitty. Well, but we're gonna move on because they, as it they're t- mostly hybrids. So. It, that is, I guess, true. We're gonna move on because as it turns out, not only do cars run by electricity nowadays. I just saw where California said no more gas vehicles after 2035. So unless something is invented between now and then that Smitty finds out about, California will be automobilists. But I didn't say every automobile, but most people <laughs> around here have have gas power. No, they do. That's uh, true. And I don't. I don't think you, that completely electric vehicles is the way to go anyway but mr billy actually did return to the site of the incident 
Are we still in the 1970s? We are still in the 70s. I, I forgot to clue you in here. Still in the 70s. Mr. Billy's going back to the craft. Have you been to that site since then? I've carried folks out there and showed them I hadn't been right to it, but I'll tell you something else that just came to my mind. That was in March, I believe, that year. Well, in July, cotton was up about waist high. I think it was July the 4th. I'm not sure, but it was around July the 4th. My brother-in-law owns a flying service, and we was flying in one of his planes, and I said, I want you to fly over where we saw that UFO, and we flew over it. And out there with the cotton, it was about waist high, and out there where we saw it, it was two round circles, 20 feet across. It wasn't a thing growing. It just was clean as your floor. Mr. Billy even told us how big the craft seemed to be. Well, we, was, we was approximately 400 yards from it across the cotton field. Right. And the two, the two circles I told you all about looked to be about 20 feet across where yes, nothing sir. would grow, where it was. And it looked to me like, it, now this is, I didn't put no measure of knowing this is looking like it was between 20 and 30, 40 feet wide, right, right at the center of it where the portholes was. And it looked like it was uh, 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 probably 20 feet longer or higher than it was wide. So it was a pretty good-sized craft. And these good-sized craft dealt with other people Mr. Billy knew about in the 70s as well. I know two people that was down at the bottom about two miles from this that spring or the next spring and they was they was Next time on All Things Unexplained. But it was the persistence of the phenomenon that refused to dry up and blow away that finally led me to the belief that we had a real phenomenon to deal with. been all things unexplained and the next time be happy be strange and love the unexplained you mean you don't want to go there so there definitely was that's where you're from something going on. i have to say during our entire clip of the 50s i kept wanting to say He's especially good at expectorating. So you definitely cut out on that one. Could you sing that again? He's especially good at expectorating. I mean, what? <laughs> wasn't the hills have eyes like, I don't know, autobiographical for you or something? <laughs>